Hello, I'm Kate Jabot. Welcome to an extra edition of BFBS SITREP with another remarkable forces story. At the age of 24, Toby Gutteridge was serving in the special boat service in Afghanistan. It was a dream job that he says had already changed his life. But then that job tore his life apart. He was shot in the neck while on an operation. It left him paralyzed, only able to move his head. In the years that followed, he suffered a total breakdown and was sectioned into a mental health hospital. But now, after going back to school and drawing on his love of extreme sports, he has rebuilt his life and runs his own clothing business. He's now written a book sharing that story and he's been telling Claire Sadler about it. Never Will I Die is, um, it's an autobiography, so it's really my life from, from start to finish. But um, it starts with me growing up in South Africa, um, being quite a, I guess, quite a bad kid, not really knowing where he's f- supposed to be and struggling through life. Yeah, my parents moved around a lot. Um, so it just talks about the difficulties I faced as a child and what, I guess, made me join the military. It was something I was looking for. And then, yeah, it goes on to talk about my career in the Marines, Afghanistan, my first tour, friends that I lost, colleagues. And then it goes on to how I furthered my career into the Special Forces and how I went from there back to Afghanistan and ultimately um, got shot in the neck. That's the first half of the book. And then it goes on to talk about rebuilding my life. I call it the rebirth because, you know, that person before my injury sort of, in in a way, died, you know. um, That very physical, capable person, very independent person um, had gone. And and now there was a new me um, who had to be very reliant on people. So... That's the second half of the book, and it talks just about what you can do if you put your mind to it, and what you can do if you can get the right help, you can rebuild your life from scratch. So just rewinding a little bit, where you talk about your upbringing, but then going into the military, what was it about the military that attracted you to it? I think overall, um, as a teenager, I was quite a lonely kid, um, and always searching for something. And I think the military is like a big family. And it was something uh, I think I was almost craving. So I was just drawn to it. And once I was in the military, yeah, I really found my groove. Um, I can honestly say it was probably one of the happiest times of my life because I had I'd found what I was looking for, you know, um, that, that sense of belonging, family, brotherhood these sort of elements, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really what attracted me. And you joined the Royal Marines. And how long before you joined the Special Forces? Uh, not long. I was, um, I was quite keen to move my career pretty quickly. So I, I did about two years, two, three years um, in the Marines. People started telling me I had the right attributes. Yeah, started encouraging me. To, to just to start inquire, so I did, and that sort of snowballed, and and eventually uh, I found myself on special forces selection. 
which was intense. Yeah, I mean, are you able to tell us about that? Obviously, I can't tell you much, but um, there's a there's there's a good bit of it in the book, um, which which has been approved. It's nothing like what you see on telly. It is very grueling, hard, but they're trying to find something special. I mean, it, it's it's tough. The Royal, getting into the Royal Marines is tough. Is this a whole different level? It is, yeah. It takes it to a whole other level. Yeah, you will do things that are well out of the realm of the um, sort of n- normal infantry. Um, there, there is more in the book. I just, uh, yeah, I'll, you'll have to read the book. <laughs> to be careful about what you say, I guess. So tell us about, you were in the, in the SBS when you were in Afghanistan and you got injured. Can you take us through you know, what, what you remember of, of what happened in the lead up and, and actually when you got shot? Yeah, so we were on a, a job or an operation, as we'd call it, uh, after a certain high-value target. And we'd done all, my pr- all, all our prep. We'd done our orders. We knew what we were doing. And, yeah, we are all set to go. We went to get on the helos, the helicopters, um, to take us in. Uh, I remember, yeah, getting on the helos, putting my headphones on, you know, getting into the zone as we do, you know, doing all my final checks, making sure my radio is all working and things and um, just listening to some good music, trying to get, you know, a bit psyched up because these jobs can, can be quite intense, to put it mildly. Uh, and then, yeah, I remember we got off the helo, uh, we did quite a long walk in that night um, so that we were undetected, so that the enemy couldn't hear the helos coming. That took us quite late into the night. Then it starts to get a bit hazy um, because, yeah, I can't remember much after that. Uh, I do know that we assaulted a compound um, and my team was first in through the door once we'd sort of secured the area. And as I went through with my team, um, the enemy had kind of already set up strategic places and they knew where we were coming from. Um, so, yeah, they just sort of opened fire on us. As we went through, we didn't really stand a chance. Um, and it was just a burst of fire in the night. And unfortunately, one of the rounds went, yeah, I got shot through the neck um, and it hit my spine which ultimately paralyzed me from the neck down for life. Um, the second round ricocheted off my helmet, and which would have killed me instantly, but, um, you know, we have a Kevlar helmet, and that saved my life. But ultimately, yeah, I was paralyzed for, from that moment on, and that's all I can remember, really. And that moment of being, of being hit, of being shot, have you... Um, filled in with sort of what happened next from talking to the people that you were on that operation with? Yeah, that's where I've sort of filled in the blanks. My colleagues who were there on the ground um, filled in the blanks and some of it feels vaguely familiar, but it's all a bit of a haze, if I'm honest. For me, it was just lights out after that. I just slumped to my knees and, and... yeah, hit the deck. That was it. Presumably they 
assumed the worst at that point, did they? Absolutely, yeah. Um, not only just because of the way I fell, but yeah, usually when there's no screaming or shouting, you know, it's going to be pretty serious when someone goes down, um, as you can imagine, because that means, yeah, they're not even talking or awake or shouting or screaming. That means they're not even, you know, sort of compass meters. So, yeah. But uh, they dragged me out and, yeah, started working on me straight away. So I was going to say, they're in the middle of a, of a firefight. That's right, yeah. So that team would have gone on, uh, kept on assaulting the compound, moved through, cleared the compound. But behind me and my team, the next guys would have been coming in and dragging me out because there would have been, you know, a call on the radio, man down. Um, and then the next team would have been coming in, dragging me out start working on me straight away finding the exit or the finding the wound the entry wound exit wound um, stop the bleeding check for a pulse these sort of things so for you i assume the next thing that you remember is waking up in a hospital i mean for me yeah the next thing i remember is waking up in a hospital in birmingham haven't got a clue where i am or what's going on or what happened um so yeah very confused because I was also on a lot of drugs, you know, all these um, drugs to keep you in an induced coma. So a very confusing time for me. Um, very scary time, actually, and I'm not afraid to admit it. It was very scary. Yeah. I mean, did they think you were going to survive? Not at all, no. There was um, the fact that I'd actually made it from Afghanistan all the way back to the UK without having um, sustained more injuries because... You know, I was, the knock-on effect is you probably have a stroke or an aneurysm and that would kill you or something else would. Or, you know, just the, just the sheer extent of the injury. So the fact that I made it all the way back to the UK, still alive, was, was pretty impressive. And then gone through, I had about three or four very long sur surgical procedures or yeah, surgeries where they were trying to just fix the mess at the back of my head. Um, and obviously then they weren't too sure whether to wake me up or not because oxygen, starvation, yeah. And like I said, maybe a minor aneurysm or stroke. So they didn't know if I was just brain dead. Um, and... The way they normally would test that is by doing an MRI scan, see if there's any actual brain activity or how much damage was done to the brain. But because of my injury, the bullets had sort of fractured and split up. So there was a lot of shrapnel still in my neck. And MRI scans are, they work on magnets. So they couldn't do an MRI scan because the fragments of metal in my neck were so small they couldn't remove them. So therefore they couldn't do an MRI scan because one of those could move and kill me instantly. So long story short, they had no idea whether I was brain dead or not. So that's take a chance whether to wake me up or uh, turn the machine off, um, which was just insane when you think about it. Was that a decision that was made by your family? Uh, yeah, so the surgeons spoke to my brother and my family, immediate family. But um, yeah, ultimately it was their decision. Um, and they decided to give me, yeah, give me a chance. Good job they did. Good job they did, yeah. 
obviously that process then so that from that moment there where you wake up in hospital and you just have to take in all this news I mean that must have been was was that the lowest point do you think no that wasn't the lowest point definitely not um at that point you still you just can't believe it really you still I don't know you just haven't properly processed it yet and you don't know the implications of what's to come you have no idea of how hard it's going to get so waking up and them telling you is like okay fine but I'm still that kind of you know that old person so you don't really realize how tough it's going to get it's only after maybe three or four years and then you start to realize damn this is tough this is this is hard it's every day it's an everyday struggle and it never gets any easier never does um you just have to grind it out so yeah it's um it's one of those now so how long has this process been or how long did it take for you sort of to adjust to it if you have adjusted to it at all yeah uh i mean you don't adjust fully you're always it's it's not something you can adjust or or yeah come to terms with 100% but i hit my lowest points about 4 years after my injury where i ended up having to um be sectioned and um i had to go into a uh you know a, a professional hospital for um these sort of things uh which was terrible and that was my lowest moment uh but now it's been 13 years and i have learned to deal with it a lot um but it yeah like i said it's not 100% it's still something i i have to deal with every day it's it's a constant battle and a constant struggle um i'm very reliant on people which is frustrating because i'm i want to be in it as independent as possible it's just not a reality anymore um it's hard because yeah i struggle with the other sort of mental things that come with being injured in in a in a war zone um or having PTSD and things like these these things so that also is it's a big struggle but i deal with it i just deal with it and i try my best i try my best to just crack on so having reached a low point and was it was there then a, a point where you decided i'm going to make the most of this i'm going to drive on you know was there a turning a moment you can remember there was um yeah you hit that t junction of whether you're going to carry on or not um but i i have to say you know it wasn't all down to myself i had a lot of help there's some great military charities out there that i have to give credit to help for heroes have done a, a fantastic job helping me and then my unit and their um they have an association there the sps have their association and they've helped me a lot so yeah they've been instrumental in in me building my life back together uh and that's not to say yeah it was uh, very difficult to to build it all back together after that 
but I have done. Um, so yeah. And it, I could be wrong, but did it start with you deciding to educate yourself to get an education? Was that sort of the beginning? Uh, yeah, when I um, I decided I wanted to get back involved in um, the things that interest me and I was always quite an outdoors extreme sports person um, you can hear about that more in the book um, so I wanted to stay in that kind of world and I didn't quite know how to do that and I was paralyzed um, without you know being physically able to move so I thought why not start a brand that's involved in the extreme sports world but before I could do that and start a business I knew I had zero background, so I went back to school and had to redo all my education. So GCSEs, A-levels, and then got accepted to university. And that's where I did a business degree and um, just got the basics of how to actually start a business. And then from there, yeah, I, I went and started building my brand, Bravery, which is awesome, and I really love it. It's all about extreme sports, um, just getting out there and killing it, to be honest, just you know, really living life to the max and enjoying every moment. That's what bravery is all about. It's about that, but then it's got that message of be brave, be bold, don't be afraid of what could happen, just go for it. And did that, that connection with sort of the old world that you were so involved in, has that helped you? It has, yeah, in my recovery it has because you now I'm still involved in those sports and it makes me happy, you know. Um, and I get to see other people enjoying themselves and, and getting out there and just being part of life, which is so important, I think. But also, you know, extreme sports can teach you some valuable lessons in life, especially for kids. Competitive nature, you know, getting out there, achieving your goals pushing yourself, facing your fears, all these things that you could then take on into your you know, later years in life. And that seems to be the way you've also been living your life since injury. Exactly, yeah. Well, I've lived my life like that since I was born, if I'm honest. But um, yeah, I've just kept that type of mental attitude and it has just helped me get through some really hard times. How difficult is it to keep that mental attitude though? I mean, when you're, when, you're, when you're down, how do you make sure that you pick yourself up? Uh, have, have some close friends, you know, have some really good close friends who recognise the signs. Um, yeah, and they can, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to say, I'm having a really bad day and I'm just struggling today because... You'll be surprised how many people care for you and they will genuinely step in and, and that's, that's what I do. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned, you know, um, to help me get out of those moments. But as a mindset, it's, it's, you've just got to really hone in on what's important to you and what focuses you and why you, why you want to be alive, you know. Um, you've just got to look at the small things, I think and appreciate, appreciate it, yeah. And for you, what is it that keeps you, keeps you going? Um, that's a very good question. You know, what keeps me going? Um, 
I think there's more than one thing. I have realized that it's, it's actually quite a privilege to still be alive. And I want to make every moment count. Um, I think my injury has taught me that this world is actually so amazing and beautiful that, yeah, I'm just happy for every second I get. Uh, I think I was given a second chance, and if I were to throw that away, that's, that's uh, it's quite insulting, I think, and just... It's just a little bit bang out of order, isn't it? You know what I mean? Um, how many people get given a second chance at life? You know, so that's what's important to me. And um, I, wanna, I want to make the most of what I've got left, yeah. Former Royal Marine Toby Gutteridge talking to Claire Sadler about his autobiography, Never Will I Die. News, discussions and analysis. This is Sitrep.